for UK investors only. This podcast is in association with Janice Henderson Investors. For promotional purposes, capital at risk. The past performance of an investment is not a reliable guide to its future performance. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as advice. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Master Investors Podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Joe Curtis, Manager of City of London Investment Trust. We're going to be talking about the outlook for UK dividends, and there's probably nobody better place to talk about this than Joe, as City of London is one of the AIC's dividend heroes, with no less than 53 consecutive years of dividend growth under its belt. Here's the podcast, and I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm joined by Job Curtis, who is the manager of City of London Investment Trust. So welcome to the show, Job. Thanks Thank for you. joining us. You're the manager of City of London. You recently announced the 53rd year of uh, increases to the, the dividend. Before we get on to the, the trust and the, the specifics of the trust, um, we're just going to talk a little bit about the UK market backdrop, with especially um, dividends. The UK is generally seen to have a strong dividend-paying culture. Why are UK companies more likely to pay investors a decent level of dividend income than their um, counterparts in the US or elsewhere, do you think? It's a good question. I mean, in the US, there's much more culture of share buybacks. So the companies do redistribute cash, but they do a mixture of dividends and share buybacks. Uh, the dividends in Europe actually have much, and Asia Pacific have improved in, in recent years. So, um, But I think there's less of a share buyback culture outside the US. But I would say that um, dividend is a very important part of the overall return, even in the US. When you look at the very long-term returns over kind of 30 years or more, income it does play an important part. And um, But it's hard to pin it down exactly. But of course, the UK companies in the UK stock market, although they're UK listed, are kind of global companies. But they do, um, UK stock market does has historically quite liked um, regular dividends. And do you think there's a trade-off between income and growth? Because presumably, if a, a company's paying out profits as dividends, it's not able to reinvest that income into growing the business. Well, we're definitely trying to avoid companies that are over-distributing. I mean, for us, we, we want our companies to invest enough for their future so they can grow their future profits. I mean, it, there's no point being in a stock purely for income, in, in my opinion. It's got to be, you've got to have that growth potential potential in the long term as well and either companies are moving forward or going backwards and you want to be the ones moving forward so we're certainly trying to avoid the ones which um end up having to cut their dividends but i think um returning to your question also i think dividend is a good discipline you know that um actually you know when a company has got excess cash flow paying a regular dividend to the shareholders is is a good discipline otherwise companies might end up over-investing mm-hmm. or making expensive acquisitions. So it's I also think it's a good a, demonstration that those profits are backed up by cash as well, I suppose. Yeah, well, I think as an investor, it does lead you to cash businesses because you have to, the company has to be earning cash mm-hmm. profits, proper profits, in order to pay dividends you know, on a sustained basis. So it does kind of, by focusing on that, those three areas, you know, it does keep you to good quality companies. But having, having said that, I think the, your earlier question is it's a very good one. You, you definitely want to avoid companies that are sacrificing future growth just to keep their dividend going. Um, dividends have actually been growing quite strongly recently. Um, according to the Link Dividend Monitor, uh, UK dividends rose by 14.5%, um, but that was on a headline basis um, in the second quarter of 2019. Dividends have been boosted by some very large special dividends from uh, a lot of companies of late. 
but the underlying growth was actually a lot weaker at 5%. So are you are you concerned that the sustainability of UK dividends might be in doubt going forward? I think you make a good point between the special dividends, which are obviously by nature one-off, and you, you, you can't um, assume they're going to continue by any means. But uh, 5%, although it's lower than 14.5%, it's still 5% is still a very good dividend rate of growth, I would say, of dividends. And particularly when you're starting in, in the UK market with a dividend yield of around 4.2% as we talk today. Uh, so if you can add a 5% dividend growth onto that, that's pretty attractive if you're look, looking for income. So I don't think it's anything, I mean, it's well above the inflation rate, which is yeah. around 2% at the moment. So I don't think one should be too concerned if, you know, I think 5% is a decent um, growth rate for dividends. And one of the big criticism of uh, criticisms of the UK as a source of equity income has always been that dividends are concentrated in a handful of sectors, particularly natural resources and the financial services sector. What proportion of, of the trust's assets are allocated to those sectors and how do you view their prospects as a source of income going forward? Well, yes, we have got some very big companies listed in London in those two areas. I mean, natural resources you define as really oil and mining, and we have about 16% of our portfolio. And we've got um, BP and Shell, which are very big companies, and also three of the large mining companies. And these are very high-quality companies in their area, and they've brought their cost of production in all cases down in recent years. So we think the dividends look well-covered to us and sustainable. And then financial services, it's a mixture of sectors, depending on how you define it, but it includes banks, uh, non-life insurance companies, life insurance companies, uh, fund management companies. And we have another around 20% in that region. And I think the bank sector is much stronger than it was, much, much stronger than it was going back to financial crisis era. They've rebuilt their capital ratios. And of course, with PPI ending at the end of August will help the domestic banks. So although we, we've got big positions in HSBC, Lloyds and Barclays, but we are actually slightly under the market average in banks, as we are also in oil and mining, although we have got biggish positions. Life insurance, we are overweight in with about 6% in that specific subsector. So, But we think there are very good prospects with some of the companies in, in that area. So no, when I look at the stocks we hold, I'm, I'm very confident of the prospects going forward. And what, what characteristics do you look for when, you, when you're searching for companies that can consistently grow the dividend over the long term? Well, they, you know, they're, they're quite rare and, um, you know, they, they tend to be quite highly rated these days. So it is uh, difficult. But within the um, portfolio, we have got a kind of core of consumer staples companies, which, um, I mean, our second biggest holding now is Diageo. And that's a good example. And that is um, the world's largest maker of spirits, Johnny Walker whiskey and Smirnoff vodka and it also owns Guinness and it's it's the biggest drinks company in the United States where 40% of its profits come from and you know you've recently seen recently there's a great boom in gin and tonic and, and they've obviously got some leading gin brands like Gordon so I mean that is a company with extremely strong brands global presence big in both the states and also in emerging markets and so that type of company profitable but has to invest a lot in the brands you know if you don't invest in the brands they fall away so you have good their heritage is and you have to innovate but i think you know that's a good example of a kind of company that can consistently grow its dividend but it's um you know obviously that's why i'm paid to do my job it's not always easy to find um those type of companies i mean one we've bought more recently which is i think very interesting is national express which you'll know is a kind of bus and coach operator in, in the uk but actually it's got an equally large business in spain and another large business in the united states about a third a third a third 
and they do sort of school busing in, in the States. And we bought it on a 4% dividend yield. And I think that's the type of stock which they can eke out um, small gains in profits through cost reductions, through use of technology, and also people using public transport a bit more. So I think that's the type of company which it's not expensively rated. It's quite good value in my view. And I'm, I'm hopeful that one could achieve um, help you know, as a smaller stock within a portfolio, help help achieve the kind of dividend growth characteristics I'm looking for. So you mentioned National Express as a stock that you bought into recently. What else have you been buying and selling in the trust? Well, Mondi is another stock I've, which is a recent purchase, and this is one of the largest packaging and paper companies in Europe, and it's very well advantaged um, because it has certain cost. Um, it's one of the lowest cost operators, and it owns. A lot of its own forests, which you know you make the paper and packaging from, and it's very sustainable. It kind of grows the trees back, and so I think it's a very well managed, quality cyclical. And another one to mention is Senior, which is a kind of medium sized company with aerospace components, where demand's been hit a bit by the halt and production of the Boeing Max plane. Uh, but but as that comes eventually back into production, I think Senior have got um, good prospects of improving their profit margins and and getting a re rating. And then selling, I uh, just mentioned two stocks. I did sell out of Unibuy Redamco Westfield, which owns big shopping malls across the world, including the Westfield centres in, in, in the UK. And obviously, with so many retailers under pressure, it's putting a certain amount of pressure on, on rental income for, for even these big shopping malls and also uh, for the valuations. So I've kind of moved on from, from that stock, which is actually a, a Dutch-listed um, stock. And the other one I did sell, I've been selling down over the last 12 months, but I sold out of, it was Centrica, which is owns a British gas mm. brand. And obviously, retail, gas, and electricity is a really difficult area at the moment, a lot under a lot of attack from politicians and regulators. And it's um, really difficult to get profits moving forward in that sector at the yeah. moment. You also held some Green King stock, didn't you, before yes. the recent takeover? Yes, it's a long-standing holding Green King. And I think it's a very interesting move because uh, this is um, Lee Ka-shing, who's the richest man in Hong Kong. He's actually age 92, but his son now runs um, his company. And uh, and they've bid for it. And it's a very interesting sign of confidence from an extremely shrewd investor in, in the UK. And we've seen another uh, some other bids, Cobham's been bid for by... American private equity company and Merlin International Exchange, Madame Two Swords by uh, some foreign investors as well. So, you know, there are people out there making, UK is very out of favour at the moment, but making contrarian bets on the UK and seeing value. We've held Green King for a long time. You know, I'm sorry to see it go. It's a very big pub group and it owns over 80% of its pubs in Freehold. But, it, you know, we've been offered a good price for it and I'm sure we'll find other opportunities to reinvest across the uh, portfolio and in some new opportunities. Do you, do you see that as a sign of confidence then in, in the UK economy going forward? Obviously, it's, it was an opportunistic bid, but does that suggest that you know overseas buyers might not be as concerned about the Brexit situation as some people might suggest? Uh, yes. I mean, this, obviously, some overseas buyers, and because the pound has fallen a lot mm. since the run-up to the referendum, I mean, you know, immediate for the referendum was about 148 against the US dollar, and it's now, you know, in the low 120s. And, uh, you know, I think that, and, you know, the stock market itself, the UK market is um, looking good value relative to most overseas markets. So I think there are people out there who, you know, think actually the UK economy is not in bad shape. And, you know, whatever happens, life's going to carry on. And, mm-hmm. and they're seeing a bit of an opportunity here. And I think this is good for, you know, City London, we are predominantly in the UK. We've got, um, 
about 10% in overseas listed, but 90% is in the UK stock market. So, you know, I'm hopeful we'll see the revaluation on some of our other parts of our portfolio mm. as well. Um, you mentioned the overseas holdings. I think they constitute around, you say, about 10% of yes. the portfolio. It's interesting to note that I think five of the top six contributors to performance in the 2019 financial year were actually overseas yes. holdings. And I'm guessing that's obviously a function of the fall in the pound. Yes. What What's the rationale behind having these overseas holdings in a UK income fund? Yes, the overseas bits have done well and it partly. As you say, the fall in the pound, but also kind of overseas, some of the overseas stock markets have done very well, particularly the American stock market. And But I'm looking for companies that can provide something over and above what we can find in the UK stock market. And I mean, the best example was um, back some eight, nine years ago, I invested in Microsoft, the city of London, which obviously you can't find a comparable company. Yeah. And at that time, Microsoft was out of favour. It was on a 3% dividend yield, lots of net cash on its balance sheet. Since then, of course, its cloud business has absolutely taken off and it's performed extremely well. So that, again, you couldn't replicate in the UK. But in other sectors, like in pharmaceuticals, we've got Glaxo, Smith, Klein, AstraZeneca as two big UK pharma stocks. But actually, there are some very good overseas ones which pay decent dividends. And we've been very successful with Merck of, of the US, which is one of the leaders in immunotherapy, cancer treatment, and also Novartis. And so, and you know, Nestle, which has been was our biggest contributor over the 12 months to 30th of June, and that is the big world's biggest food company listed in Switzerland and um, very steady business and very defensive and enjoyed a, a, a good re-rating over the period. So we have got Unilever in the portfolio, but I think Nestle kind of augments our consumer staples mm. position. And I think they're good, I said earlier, those type of companies are very good as a kind of bedrock of a portfolio to provide um, you know, consistent dividend growth. You've also been reducing the number of holdings in the portfolio as well. I think they fell from... 115 holdings over the past two years to 97 holdings yes. at the moment. Has that been a conscious decision on your part to sort of, you know, increase the concentration of the portfolio? Or has that just been a function of you sort of buying and selling when you see fit? No, I have decided to um, increase the concentration a bit. But I, I mean, I'm a conservative investor and I believe in a diversified approach is appropriate, especially, you know, as we're trying to. Um, you know, provide a consistent dividend growth. You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket and the unexpected can always happen. I mean, I, mean, I look back and, you know, BP, when the Macando oil incident happened, had to stop paying its dividend. And so you don't want to be, and that was a, that's one of our biggest companies. Yeah. And um, so have a big company. It's in the financial crisis, the big banks had to stop paying dividends. So uh, you don't want to be overly concentrated in one area, but there is a kind of um, balance between that and having too long a tail of stocks. And so I think at around 97 is about the right level, which enables us to have some kind of medium-sized companies within the portfolio where we might be appropriate to have not such big positions, but to have positions. So, so I think 97 to me is a, a good balance. Can't speak to a UK fan, fund manager without talking about Brexit these days. So um, from an investment standpoint, are we going to look back on Brexit and just see it as this blip on the radar or... Are there some longer-term implications for UK companies, do you think, that we need to be aware of? Well, I think it's an incredibly <laughs> difficult question. I mean, as, the, as we're talking, so many different outcomes are, are conceivable, both for Brexit and UK politics. So, But I think one of the things I would say is that um, the thing to watch is, is the pound or sterling. You know, And the currency tends is moving around and it tends to indicate the view of global markets in terms of what's happening. And it's, it's quite depressed. We talked earlier how how far it's fallen since the referendum. So 
I think to the extent that Brexit can get resolved one way or another, you know, this could be quite positive for the pound. And, um, you know, when there's a bit more certainty and also positive for business investment when, when there's a bit more certainty. And also, you know, the UK stock market, I think people will will globally will be return more to than they have been in recent years. So, you know, I'm very confident you know, I, I look really companies first, and I'm, I'm I'm very confident in the companies in our portfolio. You know, I like companies with relatively strong balance sheets and you know decent asset backing, even if it's physical assets or like the Green King had, or, or kind of intangible assets like great brands like Diageo has. Mm. So, within the portfolio, most of the companies are global. I mean, if I look at my top ten investments, Lloyd's Banking is the only one that's really a pure UK yeah. investment. The, the other nine are all global companies. So. I think City of London is 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 well positioned, whatever the outcome occurs. And as we're talking, I think there's a multitude of different outcomes. I'm not clever enough to <laughs> tell you exactly what's going to happen. Um, and just to finish off then, listeners will no doubt be interested in the fact that you've managed a trust since 1991. So obviously a fair amount of experience. What values and, and traits as an investor do you think have served you well over the years? Well, I've um, managed it for over 28 years. And I think, as I said earlier, a fund will, uh, to some extent, reflect the personality of the fund manager. And, um, you know, I'm quite a cautious person. And, and I think the fund, as a result, is structured and, and stop selection in quite a conservative, cautious manner. I think it's important to kind of, you've got to, it's a, it's a balancing act. So you've got to both stick to your principles and, you know, you've got to stick to the fact that we are a kind of, income fund we're looking to produce total return and consistent dividend growth but you've also got to be open-minded as well you know because you can't ignore for example some of the structural changes mm. happening I mean I can remember when news, newspaper regional newspaper groups were, were highly attractive investments and that industry got kind of wiped out <laughs> by the internet and you know Google in particular uh, so you've got to be you've got to have an open mind and be very aware of new trends, whether they're positive or negative on your on your shares. Um, but you've also got to have some core principles. There's a lot of noise in the stock market and, you know, the stock market's quite an emotional place and, you know, it gets euphoric at times and manic depressed at other mm-hmm. times. And you've got to be able to stand back. And it's good, important to have some sort of bedrock principles. Valuation style investing, I think, is quite helpful and having that anchor of the dividends to look at, um, as well as kind of making sure your company's got enough growth in them as well. So, uh, you know, it's it's not easy. I mean, I'm pleased in a way. If it was easy, a computer would be able to replicate it, um, <laughs> and I'd be out of a job. So I think you need, you know, it is some, um, and each active fund is different. And um, and you know, obviously, I managed to do London in a certain type of way. But I'm very much helped by colleagues, Janice Henderson. I am part of a 12-person global equity team, and I find it enormously valuable to bounce ideas off colleagues who, who all have different perspectives um, and different ages. But I find it endlessly fascinating. The stock market, there's always new twists and, and turns and, um, and you know, learn to adapt to it and make judgments and looking after, always conscious responsibility, looking after people's money, you know, is, um, I find very rewarding and fascinating. Joe Curtis, thank you very much. Thank you. Don't forget, you can access more great content, including Master Investor magazine at masterinvestor.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us by hitting the subscribe button and by leaving a review. If you've got any suggestions about who you'd like us to interview or topics you'd like us to cover, please send us an email at info at masterinvestor.co.uk. Thanks for listening.
Before investing in any investment referred to in this podcast, you should satisfy yourself as to its suitability and the risks involved. Nothing in this podcast is a recommendation or solicitation to buy, hold or sell any investment. Tax assumptions and reliefs depend upon an investor's particular circumstances and may change if those circumstances or the law change. Issued in the UK by Janice Henderson Investors, Janice Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by Henderson Investment Funds Limited. Registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopsgate, London, EC2M3AE, and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Janice Henderson, Janice, Henderson, and Knowledge Shared are trademarks of Janice Henderson Group PLC, or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC.